Blog Talk Radio. Trend, and this is KWOD Radio. We're on live today. It's Monday. One of our least favorite days of the week, isn't it? But that doesn't have to be because we're here together tonight. We've got an interesting just interesting uh, guest with us today. Jeff Mudgett. I sure hope I'm not uh, butchering his name here. And uh, I guess as puns intended, he has a book out. And uh, we're going to be talking about about a lot about this book and, and some things that he's found. It says, to this day, Jack Ripper has been the subject of matter for myriads of books, films, and television movies. Our fascination with one of the most notorious serial killers of all time keeps us wanting to know more about him. Exactly who was Jack Ripper? Now we might know more thanks to a lot of updated equipment and you know things that we know now know about serial killers that we didn't know before. Enter Jeff, the great-great-grandson of Herman Webster Mudgett, who was born in 1861 and died in 1896, better known under the alias of Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, H.H. H. Holmes, the first documented American serial killer. Budget's book, Bookstains, delves deep into the psyche of H. H. Holmes and his heinous crimes, while providing evidence to further the belief that Holmes and Jack the Ripper were one and the same. We'll be talking to Jeff today and the years he spent researching and writing about his family secret. Even after 120 years, Jack Ripper is still as famous as he was when he started killing spree. There are current television tie-ins with BBC's Ripper Street and a new movie com- coming called The Devil in the White City about Holmes in America, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. So with that, I'd like to welcome on KWAD Radio, Jeff. Uh, I can hear you loud and clear, and I tell you what, it's an honor being on your show tonight. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you, Jeff. I think it's an interesting idea that you have, and uh, when you know it was given to me to possibly be uh, you know, hosting you tonight, uh, that this is interesting. So tell us how uh, you know who you are. You know where you 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 don't have to tell us exactly where you live, but you know tell us uh, you know 
what area do you live now, and yeah, a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah, I we live in Las Vegas now. Uh, we grew I grew up in California, uh, San Diego mostly, in the Bay Area. Um, I was just a normal normal Joe living the everyday California life, uh, rushing to work in the morning and uh, can't couldn't wait to get home at night after after being finished. So. Um, about 40 years old, my grandfather, at a family, large family dinner, disclosed a secret to us all about our descendant uh, being, you know, the most notorious serial killer in American history, perhaps maybe even the most evil man that ever lived. And he had kept this a secret from the entire family, including my grandmother, and uh, it shocked it shocked us all that night at dinner. And the book is mostly about, Patty, how that knowledge, that fact, changed my entire life and how a search for the truth became an obsession and then pretty much a dance with the devil trying to determine how much of what we know in history is true and how much was made up. Uh, and it, and it uh, took over my life. So I ended up writing this book um, hoping to pass on to my readers um, the opportunity for them to step into my shoes to see what they would have done had it happened to them. Wow. So it became an obsession for you. Absolutely. It uh, became such an obsession that I developed uh, a mental condition even, uh, which um, you know my neurologist all, all said was the result of, of this obsession while... Some of my family and friends thought it was the result of who we were and, and the truth coming out. So I let my readers make that choice in the book, whether they <laughs> want to believe in, in the paranormal or they want to believe in medical science. Um, I still, Patty, I still haven't figured out which side I fall on yet. You still haven't figured I'm sorry. Yeah, I still haven't figured out whether it's a, it's a spiritual supernatural thing or it's just a mental condition that I have a, a screw loose oh. in my noggin. Okay, okay. So yeah, you know, there's there's some people who think of you know channeling, and you know that you never know. <laughs> I like to remain open minded on a lot of different things, and I I haven't truly decided on reincarnation yet. So <laughs> you never know. So uh, until we were in inside of it, how would we, you know? But there's always a possibility of so many things, and this world is just so complex. Uh, so, you know, you know, Patty, we uh, I think most of us, as we get older, we find out that those that have closed minds are usually wrong. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. And 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 I find that those really deeply set in religion usually have uh, some of the most closed minds. So that they need to learn to expand their horizons and uh, you know, think everything as for the fresh mind. So that's, that's definitely true. So uh, your readers, um, how, how have they received your uh, your ideas? I I was hesitant to uh, to publish the book. Quite frankly, I didn't know how it would be received because. Um, you know, we are talking about a monster, not not a psychotic, not not someone with a uh, mental condition, not someone uh, like the serial killers we we see or the uh, the mass shooting uh, 
uh, crazies that we watch on the news. This this man had perhaps one of the highest IQs ever recorded at the University of Michigan. He could have been a pasteur, and instead he made a conscious choice to kill and to torture and to inflict pain on innocent human beings. And it's really something most people don't appreciate our human species is capable of. Um, I, I Actually, you know what? It's been received very well, to tell you the truth. I've had... I've had two or three people come up, the, the, the religious ones, who are very upset that I would uh, write a book about someone who they think, you know, could be the devil. Um, ah. but, but most most want to expand their horizons and learn more about uh, what we're capable of, and I think this is this is certainly the outer the outer boundary. Well, I I think that would help to get to know yourself better and get to know, you know, your family history. I think everyone wants to know, you know, where did I come from? Uh, you know, who was my family before me? You know, whether it's psych, you know, psychological, but you know, I mean, look at the doctors. They for one of the first things they ask you is what's your family history? You know, so you really do need to get to know your family for good and bad. There's no doubt about it. I did an interview with Ancestry.com, which was first page AOL for a while, uh, and they wanted to. They were they were hesitant to do it at first. Obviously, their business is about people finding good descendants, not that <laughs> not evil ones like this. Um, they they uh, they finished. They 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 completed the interview. Uh, we had a we had a good a good talk about. Uh, whether it's good or bad, uh, it's better to know. And then they went back a little further, Patty, from Herman Mudgett in the 1860s, and they found out that uh, the, our descendant before him was one of the forefathers of the American Revolution, a man named Ebenezer Mudgett. So, you know, if you if you go back far enough, Patty, I think we all can find good and bad in our backgrounds. Oh, sure, definitely. Uh, you know, <laughs> we can't be so uh, ignorant to think that that we only have you know really good people in our history and in, in our uh, in our family. I mean, it's, it's just not feasible. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get serial serial killers. You're gonna get people who you know are bank robbers or you know rapists. You know all sorts of things. So yeah, you have to be uh, yeah cognizant that you know everybody every family has secrets. Everyone, everyone has secrets, and the thing is that your family just had uh, a darker one. <laughs> so, uh, how did your family react to this? I have still two or three members of the family that don't want to talk to me any any longer, Patty. But most of the family has received it well. They they uh, they've appreciated the uh, the positive uh, reaction that we've had uh, from people about. Well, wanting to tell the truth about history, wanting to get to the bottom of a lot of things. Um, most of most of my family, my father, my mother, my brother, uh, they're all on my side 100%. And uh, but at first, I, I'm not. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to uh, try to uh, color color the story. It, it was rough at first, and there were people that couldn't figure out why I'd want to write a book about this. I, and I basically told them this: Listen. You've got Warner Brothers uh, putting $100 million into a major motion picture uh, about H.H. H. Holmes, the, the Devil in the White Sea, the one you mentioned at the, the you know, beginning of the show. 
starring Leonardo DiCaprio. And I, and I told him, would you rather have Warner Brothers tell the world who we come from, or would you rather have me do it? And, and they, all, they all came around, and they, they decided they'd rather have me do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's good, though. I mean, and you actually got ahead of the curve. So, you know, here you're in a good time. You're in a good spot, I think. And it's good that you're reaching out and doing some more publicity at this point. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think so, too. And then I think when the movie comes out, it'll help. Uh, uh, recognition will be more visible, and uh, it'll help uh, people decide they can watch the movie. They can read uh, Eric Larson's, you know, the book, Devil in the White City, which is an excellent, an excellent book, obviously. And then they can read Bloodstains when they want to get a little bit more closer to the monster himself. And uh, so it'll give people a lot of different choices about you know, a big piece of American history, especially when you and I get into the show a little further, and I start uh, we we start talking about some of the things that are are happening uh, as uh, every day. Something on my email is another piece of history from someone I've never met about this man, and it's just mm-hmm. quite fascinating. Just quite fascinating how new things uh, are revealed almost every day now. Wow. Well, let, let's go backwards a bit here. Uh, once you once you found out your story, and your 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 uh, father revealed this dark deep dark secret of your families, and what made you want to find out more? Well, I you know I discuss I discuss it in the book. There's a there's a uh, personal, and I don't want to reveal too much about the book on our on our show tonight. But I'll go I'll go I'll go a little bit. There's a personal connection. Um, of this man through my grandfather, and, and basically to, to understand it, it, to make it easier, he was my grandfather's grandfather. But there was a personal connection in the materials my grandfather left me when he died that made it seem like uh, this this man had known who I was when I was born, which couldn't have been possible because he was supposedly executed in 1892 or 1893 when uh, he was hung uh, by the neck until dead in in Pennsylvania. So that fascinated me because some of the facts that correlated with him knowing who I was made sense, even though they they were obvious fantasy. So like I I described to you at the beginning, that, that search for truth, became an obsession to where I, I set my job aside. I uh, I uh, let my family down for a while. I, I had to go find out what what this was all about. And and uh, there's there's many books, Patty, 20, 30 books written about this serial killer and how he killed innocent people. That that's not what my book's about. My my book is more about this obsession that I had trying to find out how this connection could have been true. And, and the things that I learned, you know, uh, on this on this path of discovery that I went on. So um, that's that's. Uh, I, I did read I something, some some part of that in your website and on your uh, your uh, press release, and that's that was interesting. I didn't quite understand how he could have already known you or knew you when he'd already been executed, you know, some time before. Um, unless, yeah. of course, he's channeling or or he's got something, you know, obviously, it, it, I'd say that there's, there has been some speculation uh, with Jack the Ripper on whether or not he was actually either reincarnated or 
his spirit was able to move from person to person. So, you know that I don't you know anything. That? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's I just wondering if you if you had uh, come upon any research on that kind of uh, ideas. The channeling material, the paranormal. I I mean I meet a lot of people in the paranormal world. Um, quite frankly, I don't I don't know if I believe in the supernatural and the paranormal. I I can tell you I can tell you in the book I describe going down. Uh, there there was a building that he owned in Chicago, and it came to be known as the Murder Castle. He designed it from the from the basement up to facilitate um, his torturing and uh, murdering of innocent victims who came to Chicago to see the World's Fair. Um, this this building this building was straight out of a Hollywood set. Um, the as it was torn down in the 19 in the 1930s, the post office was built over the top of it. Um, when I was writing the book, I tried to go to as many places uh, that Holmes had visited when he was alive, and uh, my friend and I give, were given permission to go down into the basement of this post office, which the employees there—it's uh, quite quite amazing, really—the federal employees who won't use the basement of their building because they believe it haunted. Um, when huh. when I went when I went down the stairway into that basement, I can tell you, Patty, I didn't believe in ghosts. I didn't believe in spirits. I didn't believe in the supernatural. I didn't even really believe in God, to tell you the truth. An hour later when I came back up, uh, I believed in all of those things. There there is an energy down there. I can't I try to describe it in the book. Um, it's not it's not a little boy on a tricycle that sees a little girl in a hallway like in the movie The Shining. But it is something you can feel on your shoulder, on your chest, when you walk through this hallway in that basement. It's quite amazing, really. It's going to be on uh, television in May, April and May. The History Channel is going to have two shows about me going down into the basement of that post office. Um, and I'm quite excited to see how it turns out. But they took three film crews down with me for the full hour and uh, they uh, they did a great job i just i just can't wait to see it wow yeah that's to me really interesting uh, i i would call it kind of a foreboding is that kind of the word you would use that's an and excellent for, word it, that, that's that's perfect so those who have you know gifted discernment uh have these kind of foreboding feelings when they're in a place or in you know or around a person who is definitely uh, negative energy uh, some call it evil depending on you know how you feel uh, you know evil um, dark you know uh, whether it's a spirit or whether it's just simply uh residual energy that is negative, whatever you want to believe is that foreboding feeling. <laughs> That makes you, know, you want to like you know what I think I want to leave you know. <laughs> there's uh, and it's it it uh, you can it's like swimming through water you can actually feel it. Um, Harper's Magazine did a piece on the basement of the post office, and they called it the place that God allowed evil to run amok. Uh, there were hundreds of people tortured and murdered there. They also said that if ever the paranormal or the supernatural were ever to be proven actually it would be at this place in Chicago and I think I think they're right when you get 
when you get a professional scientific team that goes down there, and not, not ghost hunters or those kind of things, but scientists that have the equipment and are serious about trying to gather information on that energy, I, I can't wait for the world to be able to see it's, re it's really there. And I, don't, I just don't know how it will change the way we look at life. Hmm. Well, you know, there are some people who have, yeah, like we already talked about, closed minds anyway. And they're never going to believe what's right in front of them. Um, but then there are others who, who have, you know, the, the sixth sense, you know, so to speak. And they believe in, you know, there's, I say there are some that believe in anything. <laughs> and, That's you know, true. And then there's yeah. then there's your, your ones who won't believe, will never believe anything, even if it's right in front of them. And then you have your people who are in the middle who, who could be swayed to and, you know, one's way or the other based on what they feel or what they perceive. So, uh, you know, you keep an open mind, you can almost just you almost understand a lot of things, uh, whether good or bad. Well, I, and I, I want to keep an open mind, Patty, but I'd like to see some scientific data behind it as well. Oh, yeah. There's not quite sure how, whether or not we're, we are at that stage yet. Have you talked to anybody in a, any of the universities about this? Yeah, I have, and I've I've talked to some of the teams, the, the paranormal teams, and I've I've seen the material that they come up with, and it doesn't. Uh, no, definitive. No, and it's not uh, absolute proof, and you know the world the world one day will need absolute proof on something like this. Uh, one day, maybe not in our lifetimes, but one day, and it's certainly. We know we know the place that it's at. It's it's at the basement of that post office, and it's um I can't wait uh, when um, it's uh, that right now the federal government won't allow anyone else to go back into the basement. The last time we went with the History Channel, they said that was the last time. I don't know why. I don't know why, but they they said no more. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. They would they would cut it off at that point. Um, they they probably got some bureaucrats who, who don't believe in anything and <laughs> shut it down. Now you said you went to other places that that um, Mr. Holmes was at. Uh, did you feel any kind of? Any, did you feel anything anywhere else? Obviously, maybe no. not to that level, but but anything at all. No, nothing else. Any anywhere else? Um, and there were places where he had committed heinous crimes. That I just it was it wasn't there that um, no and uh, I I was looking I was trying to uh, feel exactly what you asked about and um, there's something yeah it's uh, it's that one place mm. well uh, you know if you if you felt it everywhere that would probably be suspicious but if you only felt it one place then obviously there's a lot of you know a lot of some negative energy there that's left there. That's uh, that's fascinating, it, and I'm surprised. You know, more than likely after the History Channel, uh, you know, they probably got inquiries from from a lot of the other, uh, you know, television shows that are out now. I won't say anything specific, um, but you know, some some of them, if you watch them, I'm not sure if you have, but you kind of get the idea. It's like okay, they make a bigger deal out of it than it really is. They they go dramatic and that's I think you're exactly right. That tends to 
uh, knock out of the loop the serious people trying to see if there is evidence of something more. Exactly. I, I did have another um, uh, an author some time back talk about the uh, you know some of the books his books that discuss all these different you know characters and 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 animals that were found you know odd out of these you know the Piltdown Man and you know obviously uh, some, some facts or fiction kind of thing and uh, he he kind of really actually ragged on some of these groups because they prey on people who will believe anything. And so he, he, it makes it hard for people like you who want to get the message out about something, you know, from historical fact. Hey, you know, Patty, I, I've decided I'm not going to try to convince the world that uh, ghosts exist, anything like that, or, or energies. It, it'll, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen without me. I, I just try to talk about how this knowledge that my grandfather gave me when I was 40 years old uh, just turned my life completely around to where now it's uh, it's quite satisfying to tell you the truth, to be able to uh, have people interested in hearing, you know, what I think is the truth and what, what happened really with this man. Um, it's uh, amazing. You know, I used when I was in California, I was a practicing trial lawyer, I used to argue before the California Supreme Court or the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So, um, you know, I, I had to deal with evidence. So it's quite satisfying now to be asked to talk about um, Jack the Ripper, about true crime, about the changes in forensic evidence and science that, that's coming about, uh, which gives us a chance to maybe solve some of these amazing uh, mysteries. And I'm having a good, a good time with that. Um, and so it's uh, it's been it's been a satisfying moment for my life, especially now that the uh, the doctors have been able to help me with my condition, the epilepsy, mm-hmm. to where I've got a I've got a normal life again. So it's uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of it for anything. Well, that's yeah, that's really wonderful, and 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 that's great that you're you've gotten some closure there. I think. I think that's the right word. I have gotten closure. I used when I was writing the book and uh, attempting to uh, trace his life. Uh, my life was uh, torturous. It was uh, hearing words, uh, voices in my head, seeing visions, having the seizures, um, to where it was uh, it was difficult. And I, I had to finish the book. And that, I think maybe that was part of it. And then uh, once I, Patty, it's quite amazing. Once I finished the book, it stopped, and mm-hmm. it, it all went away. So uh, it, it's probably one of those things, the mysteries of the human mind, that uh, if you have something that you need to get to get completed, to, to see ended, um, your brain may may be able to put quite a quite a, a load on you <laughs> to uh, continue until it's finished. So it's. Uh, it was it was a learning experience all the way around. So, how did you do the research for this specific thing? Uh, obviously, the story. How did you get started? You know, I um, my grandfather left me some material, and I describe it in the book. Um, I went off and tried to compare that material with what was already written in history about um, this terrible man. Um, 
I found out that most of what was written in history was wrong or different from what obviously um, was a little bit more of a personal connection with him. Mm. And so instead of just – I found these days most authors in history just tend to copy or paraphrase something they read in another author's book about that piece of history. Oh, and yeah. And then they then they assume, and Patty, I think you probably see this all the time, and then they simply assume because they read it in another nonfiction book that it's true. Yeah. You can't you can't do that. You can't. It's not true. You've got to run the evidence down. And that's what I tried to do. I tried to go back over the story of H. H. Holmes and dig up uh, whatever evidence we could find, you know, in Chicago in the Library of Congress. Anything I could go to that had something in his hand or something from the current newspapers at the time, anything like that, I I went back to the source. And the more times we got to the source, Patty, the more times we learned that what had been written was not wrong, but not exactly true. Mm. Slightly skewed. Excuse me? Slightly skewed. The story was slightly yeah. skewed. Exactly. Slightly skewed and in some in some cases completely skewed. <laughs> okay. So you had to delve through and and find the truth to these things and and weave it out. And at that point how did you pull your, your facts together and actually connect Holmes to Jack the Ripper? If I know oh. you don't want to give too much away, but can you give us anything on that? No, no, no. That actually, I'm. Um, I don't mind discussing uh, Holmes and Jack the Ripper at all. That's not. That's not my story. You know, I, you know, I've already described my stories about the relationship I had with my grandfather, his secret from the family, and how revealing that secret changed my entire life. I'd rather have the story be about that than than, than a, a killer in London. But what Jack the Ripper gives me, Patty, is the the visibility. The world is still fascinated with that piece of true crime. Um, there's one or two billion people in the world that know who know the subject, Jack the Ripper. When you bring that up, it sends chills down, down their body still. And it's, quite frankly, it's a very small part of the H.H. Holmes story. Here's a man that killed hundreds of people here in the States. Uh, he did it, you know, in a basement com- committing torture and removing their organs when they were still alive, where... Jack the Ripper was were murders committed in three or four minutes on the streets in London. Um, so it's it's a small part of the story. I don't mind discussing it at all, but I don't want it to dominate um, my story. And um, so I'm trying trying to keep a hold on that. But what what I, I with the material my grandfather left me, there was there were things that Holmes wrote about being in London. Um, selling skeletons to medical schools there. And if you've done any reading on Holmes, you know that he made some, what a small part of his living were selling skeletons to medical schools here in the United States. His were known as the most pristine for obvious horrible reasons. Um, <laughs> wow. I just, uh, about four months ago, I had a medical school call me and say that they, they, they just eliminated a skeleton they had in their school still because they were concerned after having traced it back that it had come from Holmes. So mm-hmm. he, he was uh, 
all over all over the states of that. So anyway, there was this material that looked like Holmes had been in London attempting to sell skeletons to the University of London Medical School. Well, that fascinated me, so I ran the time down, um, and it was about the same time as Jack the Ripper, about 1888. Well, I knew that he had been building... He had built the murder castle about 1889. He bought the property in July of 88. So there was a gap there where um, very little was known about where Holmes was or what he was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have enough to uh, um, give it anything concrete. So I, I, I played around the edges, and about three months after publishing the book, I was contacted by a man in Pennsylvania who had made it his entire life proving that Holmes was Jack the Ripper, and he flooded me with this material, wow. which, which, was ama- which was amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Handwriting analysis, uh, the great, great pieces of evidence, um, passenger lists on ships from New York to Southampton that arrived seven days before the first murder, um, yeah. things like that. So um, I looked at it, and having done this for a living before, I knew that there would never one of the one of the mistakes all the authors about Jack the Ripper make, Patty, is they they expect to be able to absolutely prove who Jack the Ripper was. Well, an author couldn't absolutely prove who a current murderer was. That that's something that's needed to be done by the FBI, by Scotland Yard, by a police force with an immense resource and trained professionals. An author can't do that. What what right. what you do is you put the story out, you put the evidence out that you have, and you attempt to create probable cause, and mm-hmm. then you then you point these law enforcement agencies in the direction of them proving beyond a reasonable doubt that uh, that uh, Jack the Ripper was H. H. Holmes if if they want to do it if they want to do it. Um, so I knew I knew that there was never going to be an absolute proof. There was never going to be anyone stand up and be able to take a knife or a, with a handprint on it and say, "See, that's H. H. Holmes. That's Herman Mudgett." No, but uh, you know, 125 years ago, if we can establish probable cause with the evidence we have, that, that's pretty good. And so what we, yeah. we, we tried we tried to we tried to stay on that path with. With like a, when I go talk to audiences, I like to swear in my audience as my grand jury, and then I and then I present the evidence as a prosecuting attorney would to a grand jury, and then at the end of my talk, I ask them to uh, a vote, and uh, I haven't lost one yet, Patty. It's uh, it's uh, I think uh, our evidence is very good. We've got some new material now. Um, the British Library pointed us in the direction of their handwriting expert who, when she compared the Ripper letters with uh, Holmes' handwriting, she said that it was a match. But I knew that the Supreme Court had had pretty much shut down handwriting evidence about uh, 10, 15 years ago because you can get an expert to state this is a match and you can get another expert to state this isn't a match. It's, it's it's uh, It's not strong enough to send a man to prison for the rest of his life for. The Supreme Court said no more. So what the Justice Department did and the, and the uh, Postal Department did is they hired a uh, computer programming company at the University of Buffalo to come up with a program which coordinates millions of, of uh, dots on each letter on the two pieces of uh, literature you want to compare. Well, I contacted them. 
and they ran the uh, Ripper letter through with Holmes' handwriting, and they came back with a 97.95% similarity number. So you're, you're, yeah. you're, getting into the, you're getting into the realm of probable cause right there. Now, other people, the naysayers and the Ripperologists will say, okay, you may have proved that Holmes wrote the Ripper letters, but that doesn't prove he killed the, uh, the five ladies. And they're right. It doesn't prove that he had the knife. Now, uh, I had someone at Scotland Yard contact me and tell me, no, it doesn't prove it, but whoever wrote those letters had more knowledge than was being given out by the media in the papers every day. Someone had some, there was a personal connection there. So we went off a little further, and then in 2006, uh, the BBC and the Scotland Yard put together a computer composite of what the Ripper would have looked like. And most people don't know this, Patty, but there were 13 eyewitnesses to Jack the Ripper. That's why when you see when you when you see books about Jack the Ripper being a woman, the one that came out last year that was a bestseller, uh-huh. pretty pretty ridiculous stuff. There were 13 people that saw what Jack the Ripper looked like. So what they did was they took these uh, eyewitness accounts from the 1880s and they ran it through their computer and they came up with a composite, which is on my uh, webpage if any of your listeners would like to take a look at it at bloodstains.com or bloodstainsthebook.com. Um, you can go right up to the top of the webpage and uh, the computer composite is there. I hired a computer expert to run that composite into a photograph we have of H.H. Holmes, and it's on the webpage. Take a look at it. It's an amazing transformation, which I took to a man that made a living uh, comparing photographs with computer composites of uh, suspected criminals. He said it was the closest one he ever saw in his life. So we're getting closer and closer to that probable, probable cause material. Then, then I hired, then I hired a, uh, a forensic expert regarding, I always knew it was very uh, interesting, the pathology reports on the first two or three Ripper killings, because here's a man who murdered, murdered a woman on the street, in a, in a London street, uh, in fog, uh, on, on low level. He's kneeling down. He had four or five minutes' time, and he removed... Uh, in one case, the liver and ovaries, and in another case, the kidneys and ovaries of these victims um, without damaging the bordering organs. Okay, now when you read the pathology reports at the time, the pathologists state, listen, this, this, this guy knew what he was doing. There was an expertise here. I took it to a surgeon uh, in San Francisco um, and asked him to give his opinion whether the surgeons he knew, Patty, could have done this in four minutes' time. He said no. He said not only was this had to have been a practiced surgeon, it had to have been someone that had practiced murdering like this in a room where he wasn't afraid to be seen. So now, so now not only are you, are you narrowed the field down to doctors and surgeons, but you've also narrowed it down to somebody like Holmes who practiced this sort of thing. So um, that, that's, that's where we are right now. I try, I try to put more and more evidence together, and then I try to point 
the law enforcement agencies in the right direction to see if they actually want to solve, you know, our greatest true crime mystery. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure they even want to solve it, Patty. I found out that this is a billion-dollar-a-year industry, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So we've gotten to the, the money issue. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. if you certain people who have a budget interest, I'm definitely not going to want you to stop the cash cow. It's all, it always seems to come up, doesn't it? Well, yeah, they would not want you to stop the cash cow. Exactly. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Plus, you know, let's let's also give them a break. They're trying to deal with current crimes. They're trying to make it safer for their current populace. And and a 125 year old uh, crime maybe isn't at the top of their list. That's true. But if you get some people who are working now, and you know, a few years when they, uh, you know, go into retirement, this might be something they really want to get into. So you never know. I've asked. There's a. There's two or three great FBI experts in forensic science. Um, I've asked them to go on uh, speaking engagements with me. I'd love to debate the evidence with them in front of a crowd, and hopefully, maybe they'd like they'd like to write a book about forensic science and Jack the Ripper. I'm, I'm sure every book that's written about Jack the Ripper, every movie that's made about him, makes a fortune. So. It's um, it's certainly something I, I think we should, like you say, someone that's retired that was an expert, it might be something they'd like to do. Yeah, definitely. And that would be interesting to definitely see. And, of course, that would, uh, that would give some, you know, definitely validation to what you're, what you're talking about. And, uh, and also, you know, even more closure than you're, than you have on your great, great grandfather being, uh, the, you know, the homes, um, Maybe Jack the Ripper, that kind of thing. So, where do you go from here? I mean, you you've written the book, and you've got some closure. So, where do you go from here? You know, we um, we've got the after. I intend to substantiate everything in the book. I I picked based on a true story. Quite frankly, because there there were parts of the book that I couldn't prove and. I want it to stay close to that, uh, well, the realm you're supposed to be as an author. A nonfiction is supposed to be fact and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be substanti- substantiatable. And uh, we've gotten more and more away from that in recent years. Um, I, I intend to substantiate the facts in the book. After, after we uh, have some closure on Jack the Ripper, if we do, um, I intend to – I went to a uh, – a cable show, a cable channel, one of the uh, other history channels, uh, like the National Geographic, and I told them, listen, it's my belief that um, his prison guard was, was hanged in his place and that um, in the concrete, he was, when he came down off the scaffolding, Patty, uh, it's quite an amazing story. He had hired Pinkerton guards and, and had the judge allow with a, uh, a contribution to charity. Uh, Holmes was fabulously wealthy. Uh, his body was lowered directly into a coffin and filled with concrete, and there was no autopsy, which was strange in itself. Hmm. The coffin was then dragged by mule team to a hole in the cemetery. It, it's in uh, outside of um, Philadelphia. And that hole was filled with 10 feet of concrete. Now, 
having read some of Holmes's philosophies, I knew that this man had absolutely no, he could have cared less what happened to his bones and ashes after he was dead. He didn't believe in any of those things that made that important. Yet here he was spending a lot of money and taking a lot of trouble, having his body encased in this concrete, which pretty much made it untouchable back in those days. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it didn't. It didn't seem. It didn't seem right. And then, so when I went through the New York Times articles, the Chicago articles, the Philadelphia articles about this hanging, everything about it was wrong. Everything about it was off. Like, um, I don't know how graphic we can get on your show, but the the, the hangman. They had a science. Um, the length of the rope and the drop down from the scaffold had to do with the weight of the prisoner because. Um, obviously, if the drop was too far, um, the head came off the body. If the drop wasn't far enough, the neck didn't snap, and the man hung alive on the rope, and you had to hang him again. Well, the Holmes hanging took three times. So I, these, these men were experts at how much weight and how much rope was needed. Hmm. Just every time you turned the next page, something was off. And um, when I went through the materials that my grandfather left me, it started discussing things Holmes was doing after he was allegedly hung. There was, a, there was a Holmes curse that was written about by the New York Times where anyone that had irritated him, Patty, in his arrest, in his trial, or in his prison stay, either was killed or suffered terrible misfortune after the hanging. And they actually called it the Holmes Curse in the New York Times. So I went, I investigated each one of those occurrences. It just started adding up that it wasn't him, that he was alive after. So what I'm trying to do now is um, get, get a sponsor. It's a very expensive, uh, ex, uh, it's very expensive to do, probably about over $100,000, but we're going to get a court order. We're going to dig up the concrete. The, the Smithsonian has already said they want to take possession of the concrete and the body, which is fine by me because I, I want it verified by somebody that everyone trusts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're going to crack it open. Uh, they, and, you know, it's amazing. The experts don't know what the body is going to look like encased in the concrete all this time. They're going, they're going to uh, take some tissue from me, and they're going to uh, do a DNA analysis to prove that it was Holmes. And I'm about 99.9% sure that it's not. And uh, I think I know where he actually was buried, and I describe it in the book. So that after we get through the Jack the Ripper part, uh, the, the next portion is is digging up that concrete, which I find just fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and, and wow, wouldn't that be interesting when that happens? And you know what's great about that, Patty? It's not its not an author's conjecture. It's not me making up a silly story to sell books. It's something that will be proven one way or the other, and I, and I find that very satisfying. Well, definitely. I mean, it, it's uh, a whole new twist of memoir. Uh, yeah. uh, it makes it, you know, obviously more fascinating that you, that you have a personal connection uh, not only with the story, but also with the character himself. 
So what do you think happened to him after he, he didn't die? Well, I tell you what, that is the last chapter of Bloodstains, and I don't <laughs> want to give my conclusion up. And it, it's a uh, it's a very uh, it's a very terrifying ending about what I think actually happened to him. And once I prove that it's not him in the concrete, I'll be able to uh, prove the last part of the book because uh, that'll be the easy part. It's just if I tried to do it now before I proved that it wasn't him in the concrete, no one would believe me. So. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. It's uh, just, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try to push. <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Uh, um, there's some amazing, uh, if it is true, um, and the things I read, there's some amazing things in history that, which will have to be rewritten because this man was never content with just living a normal life. He he was he was incredible. Um and like I, like I said, the, the intellect, he, he could have been a Louis Pasteur had he wanted to, Patty. He could have solved maybe even like cancer. He was that brilliant, and instead he decided to go evil. And it's, uh, it's, and it wasn't a tumor in his brain. It wasn't uh, an illness. It was a choice that he made, um, knowing full well the pros and cons and um, I think maybe it will be good for us to know that there are human beings like this who make the choice, and we have to quit making excuses for them when they commit violence or evil. It's just what they decided to do, and we need to do something about them. Yeah, and, and that's true. It's, it's, that's, that is a deep-seated darkness in some people, and uh, it's we just have to understand that. Uh, so how does your – you say now – you didn't really answer the question, though. Now that we know that you're going to go with $100,000 trying to get this last piece of evidence of actually digging up the, you know, the uh, grave site, um, are you planning on writing another book about that, or what are you planning on doing with it? You know, I, I am. I um, we're, we're, uh, I'm not allowed to discuss any names, but we're – having a conversation right now with some production interests that are fascinated with the book who who, may, who might want to uh, well it'd be every author's dream what they're talking about doing um, and if they do I want to write a sequel there's a part of the story Patty where um, when he was sentenced to death at trial by the jury and the judge um, he had six wives Obviously, he had one legal wife, my great-great-grandmother, but uh, the man had 200 mistresses. He had uh, six wives. Um, he, it fascinates me that these, these good, good women that had nothing to do with violence or evil could... Uh, the, the New York Times wrote about when he was sentenced to death and let out, these women stood up bawling huge tears about losing their love. It fascinates wow. me, Pat. It fascinates me, Patty, how these good women could have loved this thing when they knew what he was, mm. and he even used them to assist him in in some of the things he, the crimes he committed. And I'd love to write a story about. I'd love to write a story about that love and how evil, 
is it possible that evil could have loved like that and that such good could have loved such evil? It, it, that, that fascinates me. I don't know if I have the talent to write that story. It may be one of the most difficult stories ever written, but I'd like to give it a try. I'm not sure if you're – it reminds me of uh, – because I found fascinating when I was young, uh, Charles Manson was was uh, doing his thing at that time. Right. And to me, he he depicted evil to me. Yeah, a man is just – I mean, you just looked at you and you felt it. So he had followers that were absolute, you know, loved him. And were so devoted to him, and yet he did detain his crimes. So I agree with you. What what is it that made these women uh, love him? Uh, I, I, this is I, weird. I, <laughs> it, I think you're you're exactly right. I think you know we can we can all get our uh, our hands around a man turning evil and and doing the horrible things that Holmes did. But it's a lot harder for me to understand how those wo- how those women could have loved that thing. That that to me that that's a that's a better story. That's something I'd like to know more than the evil side to tell you the truth. Yeah, and it's, you probably get to know uh, more about him through others, and I think that's the case with almost anybody. You find out you know quite a bit about the person the more people that you talk about. You talk to them about that person, um, and if they if they were lovers, which is interesting. I mean, did he not? I mean, he married them and then started doing heinous crimes on them. No, he what he did, uh, Patty, was he would target a beautiful, rich, married woman. He would murder her husband. He would seduce her. Obviously, she didn't know he had mar- murdered her husband. Um, and once she was in love with him, he would uh, require her to alter her will and then take out a life insurance policy on one of the 30 aliases that he used, and then he would kill kill her. He he was uh, at the in the 1890s. He was making over three hundred thousand dollars a year, which is a huge amount of money in today's in today's day. Um, but Every once in a while, Patty, he would come across one that he wanted to keep. And he ended up with five or six there at the end when uh, he, he was let off to the gallows. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, this uh, this, this totally fascinates me. It's, it's I didn't realize how deep this person was, this this, uh, this monster, so whatever you want to call him. Um and you know it's because again he reminds me of 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 you know uh some of the mass murders and some of the heinous things that uh the Manson gang did so uh you never know on these on these things these people and you know he apparently is still you know uh, Manson is still alive um uh, and apparently he's he's still under psychiatric care <laughs> but it makes you wonder you know why we bother to keep somebody like that alive you're there where i have been for a long time um i know i know there are people who 
that that's probably the the last thing they would ever want our government to do. But I don't know. I don't know. I think I think uh, I wouldn't have any trouble. I wouldn't have any trouble uh, looking the other way for that. But I understand there's a lot of people in the world today that uh, putting a man a man to death is just the last thing they want to do. Mm. It's interesting that they they would. And then again, you know, you had the woman who loved Holmes, and uh, even though he was definitely a monster and did things that were unfathomable to normal people. Not only that, he not only that he would cause her to help him murder. And this was a woman who had oh, yeah. children, who had been married, who had been a God-fearing woman who had never committed a crime in her life. All of a sudden, uh, at the hands of the devil, uh, assisting him. So I, that, to me, is incredibly fascinating, and that's what I'd like to write about. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it's, you're definitely going to find that those, those women are were just very needy, and obviously were not thinking very much of themselves at the time. So perhaps he broke them down uh, psychologically. He He was good at that. He was a master of hypnotism. Um, I, I also think, Patty, I think maybe, you know, and, and we all we all understand it. I, we don't understand it, but we all recognize it, I think, a little. There's something in, you know, a fierce love like these women must have had for Holmes that must release some type of chemical in the brain that, uh, that makes uh, thought patterns altered uh, from normal life. There has to be something like that because, you know, a conscious, reasonable, uh, alert human being wouldn't wouldn't make those choices. Hmm. Yeah, well, there, there are such things as uh, the chemical changes when a uh, when a woman has a relationship with a man. So she attaches to him not because she wants to, but because chemically uh, she she's now attached to them chemically. Um, so there might be something there. Yeah, but. But yeah. this 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 speaks to something you know deeper and darker that that he probably eroded their um, their conscious uh, their consciousness you know what they believed in their her, their belief value was very broken down because of his conscious effort to break it down. Right. That, that's even more heinous than than killing somebody. I. That- <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. And uh, the, the the part of the story that I want to connect with is I'm I'm convinced that one of these uh, wives uh, helped him escape from prison. Um, and I want to I want to track down. Maybe it would it would be conjecture on my part. I could never prove exactly what happened, but I think I can put together a story which makes sense and fits the facts that we do know. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell my readers, uh, you know, that it's not it's not nonfiction. There's a lot of uh, conjecture. I'm making up some pieces to fill gaps, but I, but I think it'd be an interesting story, and that, that's what I'm going to try to do. Well, good, and I think that's going to be definitely interesting, uh, especially if you get it into uh, into a movie, which I have no doubt would there would be interest in that. I hope so too. It'd be fun to see. I, I meeting the creative geniuses that uh, we have in Hollywood and Beverly Hills. It, it just amazes me uh, every time I get to meet somebody new. Now, how these and they're and they're young. They're young people. Uh, oh, yeah. Twenty eight. 
9.30, and they're so brilliant. It's just amazing to see um, when when we all think, I, I've done it many times in my life, oh, I, I could make a movie. No. <laughs> no. These, <laughs> these people are they're amazing, and, and how much management, not only creativity, but how much management they have to have in order to get this thing to all come together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to go back for a second because I think you were trying to connect uh, at one point the pictures and eyewitnesses of, of Jack the Ripper and a uh, picture because I know that cause something that your uh, publicist sent me on a picture that was combined a morphing between um, their eyewitness of Jack, what Jack the Ripper would have looked like and what Holmes looks like. Can you tell us how that came to be? Yeah, I tell you what, um, can you, uh, on your computer there in front of you, can you plug in Bloodstains the Book in one word, bloodstainsthebook.com? Yeah, I already got it. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, can I, you I see put it? it up for everybody. All right, then, then you, as the, is the uh, computer composite morphing into the photograph? Let's see here. It's should be up on the top of the web, the web page. Yeah, I was on the secondary page, but yeah, yeah, it's it is. Now, the expert that I talked about, he said, you know, look at people look at the generalities, but he said, look at the nose structure, look at the ear, look at the jawline, look at the line under the eye, the straight line across, which is very unusual. And he said, it's an amazing similarity that composite with that picture. Mm-hmm. And the composite was from eyewitnesses, so in other words, it was drawn from their memory. That was taken from the 13 eyewitnesses in 1888 and was run into the BBC and Scotland Yard computer in 2006. That's that's what all the big uh, law enforcement agencies use now, the CIA, the uh, FBI. They all have that computer program, and they take eyewitness accounts, and they run it into the computer, and it spits out that image, and that's pretty much... That's one of their most uh, valuable weapons in um, solving crime. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's definitely you definitely have something here because I mean, again, you've got your dates, uh, your similarities, and and it was always wondered why Jack Ripper suddenly stopped. You know, and every, everybody that's that's everybody's, and that's what really interests us is why did he suddenly stop? Something well, had to have happened. It, to me, yeah. it's as simple. Just to me, it's as simple as he bought a ticket home. Yeah, <laughs> and that he wasn't really from London. That's an interesting thing. Um, now, hey Patty, scroll down to the bottom of that page. Okay. And you'll see me at a podium talking in front of a crowd, and we were. I, I put the handwriting up. The yes, red. I did see that. Yeah. Okay. The red is the Ripper uh, from the Ripper letters, and the black is Holmes's uh, handwriting. And we, what we do is we put that on top of each other on the screen. And, and then, you know, and I give them the experts saying it's a match. I give them the computers, uh, numbers. But then I just ask the audience, just just look at it. Just look at it yourself. Um, tell me what you see. And, and no one, and almost unanimous, uh, they they all say it's just too close. Yeah, it's, it's, remarkable. Just, it's just close enough. Yeah, definitely close enough, too. And, again, you've gotten this already uh, verified. Uh, the similarity was was so close. I mean, 97.95 percent is 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 definitely about as close as it can be. I mean, even if I took uh, my handwriting from when I was younger, my handwriting now, you're going to have enough 
uh, dissimilarities because we change we change our handwriting slightly. You're exactly right. You wouldn't get 97.95%. That's a good point you bring up. So, yeah, the likelihood of, of this being the case is it's got to be in that. Say, so, well, that's not definitive. Well, 97% is, is very definitive because you're never going to have the same handwriting from one from one uh, variation to another. Again, he was he was older. Uh, Ripper was you know in London for only a certain amount of time. Uh, he came back, so the the similarities of his handwriting later would have made, would have made changes. So um, that's uh, definitely close enough for mo- I think most people. <laughs> well, it, it establishes, like I said, it establishes probable cause that he should right. be a prime suspect. Yeah, and, and and that's as far as you can go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and having been uh, a lawyer, a lawyer, you should know that. <laughs> you that's, gotta, we, that's what we had to do. Yeah. That's right. Well, it, I I don't know what else we can share. With anything else you want to tell us that that you know that you, without giving anything away, of course, um, on what's going on and and anything that we didn't cover. No, I, I tell you what, I had a great time tonight, and I just like on uh, the first History Channel show comes out, Patty. If you don't mind me saying this, oh, definitely. It's on, <laughs> it's on April twelfth. It's called America's Book of Secrets. That's, that's okay. really funny because that's my birthday. Uh-huh, okay, <laughs> I'll have to call you back and wish you happy birthday. The um, <laughs> that's the first one. The second one will be in May. Um, uh, which is the, the with the three film crews that went down into the basement of the post office um, and uh, filmed through the area, which the federal employees won't won't even go down into anymore. Shown in May. Okay, I'm writing this down in the chat so people will know. Yeah, in May, and that's going to be also in the History Channel. That's History Channel as well. I don't have a date on that. This is a, a new show, and we're their premiere premier, um, episode. Okay, awesome. What what a way to go out. That's great. Well, well I, 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 I wish you all the luck. You've been you've been taking your book around. So, how has the touring gone for you? It's, it's, selling a book is difficult these days. I t- I tell people there's. Uh, there's two or three million people selling books now in America, and I think there's maybe be there's maybe two or three hundred that make a living from it. It's uh, you've you've got to uh, you've got to work hard. You've got to have some money behind you to make the travels uh, to try to do book signings. It's um, even with a publishing deal, the the bookstores are hard now. Yeah. Uh, unless unless you're on that front table and front when you walk in the door, we all know what Barnes and Nobles how that looks. Unless yeah. you're on that table, it's not going to make it. It's not going to sell enough. So, you know, Amazon is a good good way to go. You've got to figure out your niche price. You know that three ninety nine, four ninety nine, five ninety nine price. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you've got to be patient and you've. Uh, I uh, got to go on as many shows as you can and um, just uh, see if you can get some interest in your story. And it's, I tell my friends, it's something I would never trade, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, yeah. They they get a lot of, uh, you know, they, they see Castle and they think, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a Castle, uh, you know, on television. And, uh, so, you know, it's not, it's not anywhere near that easy. <laughs> not anywhere near that mm-hmm. easy. It's just, uh, but perseverance and... 
Uh, and I think the key now is that there's going to differentiate between uh, a surviving author through this, you know, through this uh, flood of books that are coming in, and one that's not is number one perseverance, and the second one is finding all your need media you can get a hold of. So uh, that's why that's why you're here. And I and I appreciate you giving me the time. It means a lot to me, and I, I really really want to thank you. Well, I enjoy talking to authors all the time. So I've been doing this for, I've been talking to authors for about 20 years in different conventions I've I've uh, frequented, uh, science fiction fantasy conventions uh, for the last 20 years. And so I've always enjoyed that part of of sitting there and, and talking to authors about the process and about how they got the story. And I I learn you know and 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 uh, become it becomes a, a different dimension. Of the story once I meet the person. Well, I tell you, and 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 uh, Patty, I'd like to uh, ask you, not not to. Uh, I I've I've grown. I don't I don't try to push the book on um, shows or on my web page or on the on the uh, Facebook. I I it's someone. It's not a book for everyone. It's it's definitely not a book for children, and it's a it's a book for mature people that want to know how evil. Um, life can be, but I tell you, I would really love for you to push them looking at that morphing of that computer composite into the picture of H. H. Holmes. Because if if there's one thing, one thing I'd like to get done, even if it doesn't um, make anything capital-wise, I, I would really like to uh, have the world say, you know, uh, they might he may not have proved who Jack the Ripper was, but that has a chance. That's reasonable. We sh- we should consider that. I I would really like that. I've already given your website right on the chat, so people you need to you know take a look at the chat down below. Uh, we've got his information of course uh, on the episode information, but again his website is bloodstains. That's plural. Bloodstainsthebook.com. And uh, I think you can get you free from there, but I, I also added the index uh, information and blog that he has there. So definitely get on there and, and you know, yeah, read through it and decide for yourself, you know, whether or not you think this is something that could possibly be. And I, I think that uh, my listeners, uh, thousands of you out there, I think that all of you are open-minded, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So... <laughs> so. So with that, I, I'd say, you know, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Patty, Patty, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Um, I've done hundreds of uh, radio shows, and I can always tell yours was one I enjoyed because I look up and it's already 15 minutes after the hour, and some are just tortured, if you'll pardon the pun, my own pun. <laughs> and, and, this, and this one's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Well, that's that's the thing is you get a look up and say, "Oh man, it's already been an hour." <laughs> yep. Uh, and that's, that's, that makes a good conversation. It's a good conversation. I and it's, it's been fascinating. Now, you know, I'm definitely going to keep an eye and, and watch that show because I I find it fascinating. Would like to know. Uh, and when you 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 come upon that time where you open up that that casket and you take a look and see what's in there, uh, definitely would like love to have you back on the show. I, I, you know what? Let's uh, let's put it down. I don't know. That might be a year from now. Might be two years from now. 
but That's let's okay. uh, let let's do it. And I can only tell you this: the guys at the History Channel, guys and gals at the History Channel, they they told me they're going to get on the air and back me up that they think he was the prime suspect for Jack the Ripper, which shocked me when they told me. So I can't wait for them to do that and see see what happens the next day. Well, I think that you know you get a group of you who who are like minded, and who knows what'll happen. So that's great. That's what it takes. So with that, I will wish you good night and and have a great week. Okay. Thank you, Patty, and good night. And uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, really, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. And I'd like to come back on one day. Definitely, are definitely invited. Thank you. Thank you. That was Jeff, and he had the fascinating fascinating story to tell. We're so happy to have had him here on KWOD Radio. And this is Patty Hellstrand, and let's talk about some things that we have coming up here. I know you guys are always looking forward to that. Uh, of course, we have the new newspaper coming out, the WAD newspaper. It'll be the second edition for March. So if you guys need to get your stories in or you want to get you know some articles in for me, definitely do so. I'm on Facebook every single day, um, and and PJ PJ is P capital you know, little P little J dot Holstrand and that's spelled H U L T S T R A N D. Don't forget, there's two T's. So that's Facebook slash or Safefoot.com. Sorry, I didn't say dot com slash. PJ dot Paul Strand. It's on the chat now, so you can get a hold of me there and box me. Uh, we have some great deals on some advertising. If you've got some product you need to, you know, get some better, uh, you know, coverage on. Um, we are do have a deal right now. If you do a full page ad, you get and free, you get a free twenty minute interview with me, right here on KWAD Radio. That's a free 20-minute interview with me right here on KWOD Radio on you and your product. If you're an author, for goodness sakes, you know you need to get a hold of me. Um, get a full-page ad. That means uh, especially if you have multiple books, this is definitely a great place to do that. We're not talking about a little magazine. We're talking about a full tabloid-sized newspaper as well as an ad right online, which you can find us at the wad that's t h e e w o d dot net so that's the wad dot net that's our website based on the based on the newspaper uh book came out last month well actually yeah yeah at the end of january for february's issue so uh, we definitely need to get a hold of that and get a hold of me if you want to advertise because we're about ready to roll and about ready to go to the press. So get a hold of me and we'll get you on the radio and get you started and get you some listeners because uh, this is a, a station that is growing and uh, we're expanding by a thousand, uh, approximately a thousand more listeners per month. And so, you know, I'm going to plug. I'm going to put my own plug. Hey. We've been spending about a, about a year getting uh, all these people uh, listening, and there's a reason. There's a reason. It's because, like Jeff said, you know, here we had a great conversation. We're just as if we're sitting here talk, uh, talking to each other and drinking tea. And next thing you know, is it's been more than an hour. So, 
that's the reason why uh, this, I think the station is doing well is because of the fact that uh, people like to listen to it too. They they they, they kind of get drawn into the conversation, and uh, they find uh, things fascinating as I do, and they want to know they they want to know the same things I want to know. Uh, all of you want to know the same things that, that I'm curious about, and so I'm asking your questions. But you know, I really would like it if you guys called in once in a while. Uh, I know you're there. I know you're listening in the dark. I can see you. And uh, I know that you are listening to because therefore you, uh, your numbers are there. You guys are listening. So call in sometime and ask those questions. Not Don't just make me have to ask them. I know you guys got questions. So come on the, come on the air and ask them. So uh, with that, it is, well, it's about 7.16 here in Arizona. Uh, it's a beautiful night. So, you know what? I might ask you to go outside. This is K-Mod Radio. And I just say that I enjoyed having the night with you. It's been a wonderful conversation and some very intellectual thought. Obviously not for this, everybody. Um, that's for those who say, you know what? What if? And, of course, that's my favorite subject. Next to time travel. What if? What if? What if this uh, great-great-grandfather was actually Jack the Ripper? He says, we all know we have, you know, dark things in our family closet. You never know. Maybe uh, maybe your great-great-grandmother was Lizzie Borden. So who knows? And, you know, she seemed pretty sane at the time. So who knows what what's, lurks in the hearts of of us all. So with that, this is Patty Holstrand signing out for the night. K-Rod Radio. We do have a few minutes left, and I'd like to go ahead and also give the kudos and the shout-out to a couple of guys who are really working hard in their Kickstarter program. 
Um, you know, as I said before, Kickstarter is a terrific place to try to get your project or dream kicked off. You want to start a business. You want to write a book. You want to start a game system. You want to do a convention. You want to share something with the world. But you just don't have the means to do it yourself. Kickstarter is a great way to do that. And with that, we have a couple of Kickstarter programs I'd like to talk about real fast. And one of them is a good friend of mine, Todd Van Hooser. So when you go into Kickstarter, look up The Ragged Man. That's R-A-G-G-E-D, The Ragged Man. Or Todd Van Hooser. That's Todd, T-O-D-D. And his last name is V-A-N-H-O-O-S-E-R. He's got a new game system based on the one he's already created before. And so he's really, uh, you know, he's, he's built this whole game system based on his, his fantasy story. So he's got a fantasy book and he's got a whole game system surrounding this, this book. So uh, Ragged Man is an expansion to that. It's got uh, some dark fantasy. So you just need to check it out and help him out. Every little bit helps. Also have another Kickstarter program out, and that's a friend of uh, mine. His name is uh, Jason Youngdale. He's got a convention, a gaming convention. He's trying to get kickstarted. Um, he's running out of time, so you guys really need to get on board and check him out. It's good. Maricopa Con. This Maricopa, like in the county if you're in Arizona, Maricopa Con. So Maricopa Con is his... Uh, information for his Kickstarter program. Take a look at that. Um, he needs a little bit more in order to be able to make his dream of having his own convention, his own gaming convention come alive. He's been doing this uh, for a few years, but they've been smaller, and he's trying to expand to a hotel. And we all know you can't do those kind of dreams without a little bit of seed money. And since, you know, there's no such thing as going to a bank for a convention... Every little bit helps. So take a look at uh, at Maricopa Con and or also look up Jason Youngdale. That's Y O N G Y Y O U N G D A L E. Jason Youngdale. So uh, really kind of you know check out some of those Kickstarters, uh, especially ones in your area, and try to help those in the arts. Try to those who have little dreams that they just need. You know, a couple hundred dollars to be able to make happen. And so we could all use a little help sometime. And with that, good night.